Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always it's a pleasure to have you join me on the show today. Well I'm very pleased to introduce you to another guest on the Going Full Time in Property series that obviously we're underway with right now and we're going to hear in a minute from Richard or Rich Parker who is a member of my community and I've got to know him pretty well over the last year or so. And uh, he's uh, an engineer by background and um, really started um, messing about, I suppose, with property as a hobby, as a sideline interest, until there was one key event that changed his perspective, which is actually a book that he read. So listen out for that in the share. But he's managed to turn, if you like, or convert a hobby, which he did set up, um, you know, professionally, but didn't treat it that seriously as a bit of a sideline into a full-time activity where he's now been able to take full control. Uh, he has a lifestyle, he has choices, and he has freedom um, as, a, as how he spends his time, the sort of experiences that he, he enjoys, and the, the education that he wants to throw himself into now. So uh, let's just uh, get into the conversation. You can hear the full story, how he's gone through different strategies and the approach that he's taken to, to realize that uh, lifestyle, choice, control, and freedom. Um, by going full-time in property. Okay, Rich, how are you doing? You okay? Yes, I'm fine. Thank you, Richard. How are you? Brilliant. Thank you. Brilliant. Thanks for joining me today on the on the podcast. Um, I'm really excited to have you on the show. I, I know a bit about you and your backstory, but um, I really thought it'd be a good idea to share that with, with our audience. So Richard Parker, just to give you a full name, but I, know, I think you probably prefer Rich, but that's, uh, that's up to you. But Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, no worries. So why I think let's just start us off. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, just so that people have got an idea of who you are and where you come from and, you know, wh- where you are in life, if you like. And we'll get into your, your story, because I know that you've, you've actually managed to achieve going full time in property. And I'd love to hear more about that. So we can just tell us a bit of context and background to start us off. That'd be great. Okay, so, so right now, I'm uh, 56. I'm married. Um, I've got twin daughters that are uh, 31 now, and uh, I became a, a grandfather a couple of years ago, which was uh, which was quite exciting and a bit daunting, if if I'm honest. Um, in terms of um, kind of the property related stuff, so um, I was an engineer with Ford Motor Company. I, I I did an apprenticeship with Ford, which I really enjoyed. And uh, I really enjoyed being an engineer. I, you know, I travelled the world, solving problems, making big stuff, which was which was really exciting to do. And um, and I just loved being in a in a manufacturing environment. Um, then I, I got divorced uh, after a few years, and uh, and was living in a property that had some land adjacent to it. And I'd never really thought about getting into property, but I just thought there was a, a, an opportunity there. So, um, so I decided to put in planning for two flats. And being an engineer, I did all the drawings myself and uh, all the paperwork myself. Uh, and I think about that now, and I, I have no idea how I did it, but I did. 
And um, I, I successfully got uh, planning permission for two flats and uh, I got them built. Um, I then went and got a couple of buy-to-let mortgages. So that gave me some additional funding. And uh, and then I decided, you know, I, I thought actually there's some money to be made here and I'll, I'll go out and do some more property purchases. So I was in the process of doing that. I've got maybe one more property, I think, after those two flats. And then the credit crunch came along. And, um, you know, I absolutely stopped buying property. I completely focused on, um, which I enjoyed, my engineering career. Um, and I was doing still a lot of traveling around that. So really, I just kind of put property on the back burner. But then um, after about 2013, I thought I need to start getting back into this. You know, property was starting to move forward again, which was exciting to see. And, uh, and decided I was going to start buying some more property. So fast forward to now, I've, I've now got a mix of, you know, your basic buy-to-let properties, single families in them. I've got some student HMOs. And more recently, uh, I've, I've just bought my first commercial mortgage using my SAS pension, which I transferred out of my um, blue chip company pension scheme. And uh, very excited about that. And uh, I, I'm really looking forward to, I think, the, uh, the future that, you know, of the potential opportunities that's going to come um, along in the next 12 to 18 months. Yeah, very good context. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> so with that, with that sort of, um, there was a title split, was it that first project that you did? Uh, yes. Yeah. But, so what, what made you do that? <laughs> What was the driver? What did what made you think of the idea even at the time? At this time, I was um, I was thinking of leaving um, Ford Motor Company, which is where I was an engineer, and um, I was getting a little bit frustrated, and I wanted to do something on my own. And I thought about going out doing consultancy because um, certainly the training that Ford give you is absolutely second to none it was fantastic training as i said i really enjoyed working with the with the company but i just wanted to do something myself and uh, so i had a, a an inkling to do some consultancy but i wanted some financial buffer there that would allow me to do that so um by having some property not necessarily even initially i was going to rent them out my thought was to just to sell them and have that cash buffer but um, I realised I didn't have to sell them. I had sufficient funds um, by renting them out. And certainly once I got some commercial, uh, sorry, some uh, buy-to-let mortgages on them, it gave me that financial buffer that I was able to use uh, to go out and do uh, set up a consultancy business, which I did. And, uh, and I loved doing that for quite a number of years. Yeah, I knew that about you. And I was wondering if that was going to come into the, into the mix. Um... So having the having the extra income stream, it wasn't at that point in time, a, a, let's say, a full job replacement income by the sound of it. Um, no, no, um, it certainly wasn't. At that time, I, I, you know, I was on a good salary with uh, with Ford and um, I needed to replace it, mm -hmm. at least partially. Um, but I wanted that kind of pick and choose situation. Mm -hmm. um, so for a period of time, I was consulting with a number of businesses. And then um, as I got to know um, the business owners of some of those I was consulting with, they asked me to get more and more involved in the business um, until one of those particular businesses said, 
look, we want you to come in as general manager, which I did and uh, kind of went full time. Uh, and within a year, I was I was managing director running the business for them. So that was really then the start of me running businesses for other people, um, which, again, was really exciting. So I'd had an, I, you know, since then, I've had a number of directorships where I've been running businesses, um, which I did up until, you know, really, I would say a couple of years ago. Um, I read a very interesting book that, uh, to be honest, changed my complete outlook on what I was doing. And, uh, and that's when I decided that I wanted to go full time in property. Well, you can't leave us with that. I read a book, I'm going to tell you the title. I mean, what is, what is this great book that you read that so, changed everything? You know, I, I, I'm, uh, you know, an absolutely prolific uh, reader or listener of yeah. books uh, and also podcasts. Yeah. But the, this particular book was called The, the Millionaire Fast Lane by oh, yeah. MJ DeMarco. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people reference it. Um, I mean, I can talk about it a bit more later on if you want, but uh, I, I read this book and it's it's a book about really, even though at that time I, I'd been through consultancy and I was running businesses as a director, I was still an employee. And um, what The Millionaire Fastlane talks about is that really it's all about taking control of your life and your your assets and uh, the, the real way to do that is to effectively have a business and it you know a property business for example or any other business but it's really about you having a business you're in control of your destiny no one can change or take away what you're doing um, and I and I read that book and within six months of reading that book I'd left full-time employment and gone full-time in property. Wow. That's, in, that's, that's interesting. I mean, uh, I love that book, by the way. Um, I think he's, he's very contrarian, isn't he, MJ DeMarco? Uh, and and the book, Logan. The, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the book is very American. It's very American. Um, but um, if, you, if you go past that and just understand the message of what he's trying to communicate, um, Equally, uh, another thing that uh, he talks about is, you know, trading time for money. And um, my last particular employed role involved me driving an hour and a half each way. So I was spending three hours each, each day commuting and I was getting more and more fed up with this. And it was all driving. And if, if the traffic was bad, it was sometimes two hours to get to my job and an hour and a half home. Um, I didn't completely waste that time because I, I did one of these things which I, I tell people to do, which is about turning your car into university. So I became a, a big listener of Audible books during my journey, which is a great time to get education. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but it, it was I was just spending so much time, you know, and I, I actually did an exercise where I added up, if I kept doing this, you know, how many how much time a year I was spending driving and it was turning into months of my life. And I just went, this has just got to stop. And uh, so in conjunction with the time that I, I felt I was wasting, plus this um, boost or suggestion that I should really, you know, make property uh, a business, a full-time business, 
um, that that was that's really propelled me to do what I'm doing today. Yeah, <clears throat> so much there we can unpick. I mean, as a matter of interest, have you read MJ DeMarco's follow-up book? Um, Unscripted. Yes. Um, I have. Um, I think there was a lot of repeat content in there. Um, I didn't really enjoy it. I've actually got it on my bookshelf just behind me because um, I did buy that as a hard copy because with me, although I listen to audible books, I, what I tend to do is uh, I'll listen to an audible book. If I think it's a real good reference book, mm -hmm. I tend to get the hard copy after and then go through it and make lots and lots of notes. I love, I, I'm, I love scribbling over books. So I don't keep my books pristine. They're all bent and battered where I've scribbled all over them. Um, but yeah, unscripted. I, I, I'll be honest. I did maybe because it just didn't have that impact that the first book had for me. Mm. So maybe that's why I didn't enjoy it. But yeah. so, uh, yeah. still, again, it's a very good book. That's good. the one. Yeah, I, I'm showing you because it happens to be the uh, TPV Book uh, Club Book of the Month. And um, so I'm doing exactly what you've just uh, highlighted. And um, um, actually. Oh, in fact, ironically, I was just going to show you some of my scribbles, but, you know, just stuff like that. I've, you know, highlighted some of the quotes. Yeah, yeah. Like it's pretty like you. It, because we're going to have a review of the book at the end of the month, I kind of need to know what I'm talking about. But good, good. The, the, it's, still, it's still a very good book. Yeah, no, it is. And, um, in fact, I kind of suggested people skip the first third if they read Mini Layer Fastlane, um, because a lot of it's a repeat or even a rant because um, uh, that's what I was talking about with MJ. Anyway, I'm digressing a little bit, but here's the point I definitely agree with, is that, you know, taking control of our own destiny um, seems to be the light bulb moment that um, Millionaire Fastlane triggered in you in insofar as switching from, because you'd already made one switch, hadn't you, of course? You'd gone from, you know, full-time employee with Ford Motor Company to consultant and interim um, director in you know working for other businesses so you'd stepped into the from employee to self-employed if i can say that yep and you it sounds like you made the the uh, the, the, the switch to go full-time in property and be a business owner outright um, mm. is that right yeah that that would be true richard um for me um i i just really enjoy management you know um and i don't mean that in the sense that i, I like being a boss to people but I just really enjoy some of the theories behind management and leadership particularly. Um, I, I did my MBA when I was at Ford and, uh, you know, I was very fortunate that they funded that. And, you know, I still use some of the uh, information that I learned during, during my studies for that today. Um, but I think another thing that prompted me to go for, or made it easier for me to go full-time in property is that when I actually bought my first properties, um, so going back 15 years, even though it was on the side, I decided to set up a limited company from day one. Mm -hmm. And I remember a friend of mine who was an accountant, he said, well, why are you doing this? You don't need to do this. It's going to cost you more money. And I just said to him, no, because I don't know where this is going to go at some point in the future. And I want to run it professionally. Um, again, being perhaps being an engineer, um, I, I was a professional in a professional business. And so therefore doing um, property, uh, it, it wasn't going to be like, a, a, 
it kind of was a hobby, but I didn't want to run it like a hobby. Yeah. So I set up a business and I put all the controls and, and, and the formalities in place to run it as a business, even though the property was really a part-time business while I worked full-time employed. Understood. That makes sense. So just just to pick in a couple of you know plug a couple of gaps there in the story. So you you started um, it's a bit of background noise here. I don't know if you can hear that. Can you? Yes, okay. Uh, I hope it's going to come okay on the audio. That someone's doing a lot of um, clear clear up in a garden. <laughs> um, I might need to switch to a different connection. Anyway, um, you you started with the, the the title split. You were still an employee. Then you stepped out into the you know consulting and the interim kind of role. Um, and then eventually you stepped into full-time uh, in property. But just talk us through from that first property purchase up until stepping out full-time. What did you do? Uh, what, was, what did you do in property during that period of time? Um, so in, in that period of time, I, I would say I almost exclusively uh, stuck with single buy-to-lets that a single family would go into. So um, it was really a case of, It was almost an ad hoc approach, I would say. It wasn't. It wasn't very disciplined at all. Which, being an engineer, obviously doesn't really uh, it isn't the way I do things. But it was really a case of if an opportunity came along, and the numbers worked, um, I would buy it. Um, but I, I wouldn't say I was really hungrily out there looking for properties. It really was just a case of. At this stage, um, I had no ambitions to become full-time in property because I honestly thought I would be an engineer for the rest of my life. I, you know, I, I say again, I really enjoyed what I did. Um, and so, you know, <laughs> just a, a little aside for, for people listening to this, if you really enjoy your job, it's one of those things that you can kind of justify putting off um developing your property business quite easily because you can just say well it's just a hobby and it's at some point in the future i'll pay it more attention if you don't enjoy what you do i think then you're much more hungry to to escape from what you're currently doing but but that wasn't the situation for me so you know for me in terms of the the properties that i was buying um sometimes a friend would point them out to me and he would say look i've seen this property um are you interested? Would you, would you like to go for it? Um, I, but it was a very, very laid back approach. And uh, if I bought one property a year, that was probably unusual. And I'd go, okay, I've got another one. That's fine. That's in the bank. Um, I'm going to continue concentrating on what I really enjoy doing at the moment. That's, that's interesting. So it's more you know, opportunistic, let's say, in the, in that early period of time. And, um, when you got to the point then of being able to step out, were you able to have full income replacement at your previous level or was there sort of a shortfall or a gap as such to, to, uh, to fill? So one of the things I think um, when you kind of step away from full-time employment, you realise that you're, you haven't got the expenses that you had before. You're not buying the suits. You're not going, you're not spending the fuel. You're not travelling. Um, there's just a whole different, um, well, a whole amount of things that you're just not doing anymore, lunches and things like that. So 
I didn't need to replace the full income that I was earning previously. I just needed enough to enjoy the life that I was doing. And um, that allow, it did allow me to do that. Um, also, you know, I'm, I'm in a very fortunate position that my wife had a very good job. And I knew that uh, when I said I was going to do this, she, she said to me, just go for it. I knew that if I had absolutely no money coming in, we could pay the mortgage and we could pay the bills. All right, wouldn't have the holidays and things like that. Um, but I knew that I would be able to survive. Um, it didn't come to that, but um, I, I had that life raft, as it as it were. That if if you know things went really really badly, then I knew we could pay the bills. And I also, also because I'd been buying quite slowly, uh, and some of the properties that I had, uh, I had repayment mortgages on, even though they were buy to let. Because my mindset was, I want to keep paying these down so that I'm kind of debt free as I get closer to, like, completely retiring. Um, I knew that if you know, if if things were really difficult for me financially, I'd sell a property, and you know, it would pay the bills. So I knew. In that sense, I didn't have that fear of, well, if it all goes completely wrong within three months, I'm in trouble. I, you know, I knew I was fine. So that was a, that was a big relief. Um, and also, um, it just made it easier, actually, for me for going full time in property. Yeah, a lot of people, they, um, they, they seem to think that they have to have a direct income replacement. And, and you've just made the point really well actually. Um, and there's also potential tax benefits, by the way, um, you know, un, under certain structures. I'm not giving any advice. I'm sure you wouldn't. But, um, you know, so you, you don't necessarily need as much as you thought you did. I was in a similar place myself um, when I went, you know, full time and I kind of had a runway. Um, and, and in that runway period, my wife was also earning and, you know, that provided an income stability, much like you. So I think it's great if you've got two incomes and you can perhaps go, you know, you can either go part-time initially yourself or and then you know one of you could step out and, and then the other one goes part-time and the other one steps out you know there's you can go in progressive progressive stages i thought the other thing that was interesting that you said is that essentially you've got some contingencies in there uh, which is that you've got equity in your existing portfolio and you said you could sell one but you could also refinance one presumably so that would give you um a, a, an alternative way in case it didn't kind of work out but you said it didn't work out that way. So what did you do and how did that unfold to make you know, make sure that, you know, you didn't need to dip into uh, equity or, or perhaps lean perhaps on your, on your good lady too much? Um, well, <clears throat> one of the things, one of the exercises I did, I did actually, you know, I drew myself up a complete budget, went through everything I was spending my money on and kind of had a, well, this is what I must spend. And this is what I would spend if, if I've got the money coming in. So I didn't have to dip into it because I did have sufficient funds coming in, certainly to cover everything that I, as a minimum, I needed to. But I also had some funds that allowed me to do those, those nice-to-have things. Um, because one of the things that you realise as soon as you go full-time in property, that you can give yourself a lot of free time if you want. 
Um, <clears throat> and, and, and obviously that suddenly means holidays. And whereas um, you probably have one big holiday or maybe even two big holidays a year uh, if you haven't got children, um, suddenly I was at an opportunity where I could have four or five holidays, not, not all big holidays, but, you know, if I wanted to, I'd, I'd go away for four days. Um, and I should add here that um, <clears throat> also my wife retired a few years ago. She's, she's a number of years younger than me, but she had an opportunity with her employer um, where they were just getting rid of a lot of staff and she had a number, many, many years service and uh, she took early retirement. So, uh, you know, 53, she retired, um, which is fantastic. Um, she still thinks she's poor, but uh, and obviously that's not true. But um, and she was an accountant, so um, so she's really always looking at the money. Um, but now I've kind of got a, her her uh, gainfully employed at looking at my numbers, and um, it's very annoying sometimes having someone in the same office saying, "You do realise how much money you're spending this month? What's what's going to change next month?" And I kind of went hang on you know this is i thought i was running the business and now <laughs> now the accountant is saying to me you do realize how much money you're spending because <clears throat> it was not always something i really worried about unless things got really tight and then somehow somehow i would always dig myself out of the hole well you've got you know it's, it's so much there you've got accountability partner there haven't you or literally you know, with your wife uh, yes the accounting role So um, some of the lifestyle cues you've given there, so you were able to, you know, take trips and, and more holidays and have more free time as a result of having this um, this changeover. But what, what did you do? What was what were the strategies that you followed once you stepped out and became full-time in property? Or how did you go about things? Sounds like it wasn't quite the same as the more opportunistic acquisitions um, that got you started. So um, having... having um always bought you know standard buy to lets um i then decided i have been hearing a lot of things about hmos uh housing multiple occupancy and i thought mm, that's that that you know people were saying about the amazing revenues that you could you could obtain from these so i thought okay um maybe this is something i need to uh, look at so i went and bought a couple of hmos up in preston completely away from where i currently live um they were very good prices, um, and they had a massive student. Well, they still have a massive student population in Preston. And I'm not advocating to everyone they should go and buy in Preston, but for me, a few, you know, I, I, it worked for me. Um, although that said, um, interesting enough, I did make a massive faux pas with the HMOs for the students, and the reason I say that is that at the time I bought them. This was just when there was a change in the way that uh, the expectations of what students had for their properties. Um, a lot of them had been in student halls and the, and the universities were really up in their game in terms of the facilities that they were offering, particularly on the new build um, student halls that the universities were creating. So they had their own room, you know, everything was brand new, particularly had en suites um you know lovely new kitchens and things like that so i bought a couple of student hmos thinking a quick paint over 
the uh, ag local agents said to me, oh, we'll get students in there, no problem. Bought the properties, took them over, nothing, absolutely nothing. Um, really, really had a, a, a trouble uh, of letting them. So then I started to research, uh, you know, the HMO strategy a bit more. And this is when I realised that, you know, everyone was really up in their game. So again, to cut a long story short, um, I just, we went in, we put on suites or off suites. So not attached to their room, but, you know, it's exclusive use for the person in that room. Um, we put them in all, both of the properties and they let no problem at all. Because particularly in student HMOs, they're now expecting particularly their own bathroom. That's what, what, what the youngsters want. Um, and what I hear from the, the market and from the agents that I talk to <clears throat> is that, you know, they can let ensuite rooms all day, every day. But the ones that really struggle are the properties that uh, haven't got that facility. And many landlords, uh, as I experienced uh, in Preston, they'd been in the market for many, many, many years, had practically spent no money on their properties. And suddenly all these demands were coming along about what they needed to do to the properties. And they just went not interested and they decided to exit the market. So, you know, that that was a real big lesson learned for me in terms of changing strategy. So I've been with one strategy working through in terms of just, you know, I know this inside out. I'll go for another strategy. Well, it can't be that different, can it? Well, yes, it can. Um, so that was a lesson learned for me there. Uh, so what I would say to anyone out there is that if you've been following a strategy or, or you're going to embark on a new strategy, it really is important that you understand the customer demands for that kind of strategy, because it won't necessarily be the same as what you're used to or what you think it might be. So, you know, that that was really important for me. So then I, I bought I bought that those student HMOs <clears> that they, they're working really well now. Um, and then um, I decided, having to take having taken my um, pension funds from from Ford, I decided to create uh, my own pension because I wanted to be in control again. Kind of picking up on another aspects of the MJ DeMarco learnings, and uh, I decided to set up my own SAS pension, put the funds in there. And what I've done since doing that is I've lent some funds to or loaned some funds to a developer. Um, I've got a first charge on the property, which is important, I think. Um, that's going along fine. And, you know, the next tranche of funds is about to go out soon. Um, and secondly, I, I'd all, ever since I'd set up a SAS pension, I'd really had this um, yearning to own my own commercial building. So uh, I was very fortunate that um, about two or three weeks before lockdown actually happened, I saw a, a commercial building that was up for auction. And I went online and had a look at the price and I thought it was a very good price. And it wasn't a million miles away from me. So I was, you know, I'd seen this building before and I was very, very interested in that. Um, so I went through the process, the due diligence, uh, got the legal pack, discussed it with my solicitor, et cetera, et cetera. And I just looked at the numbers and went, I think this is something I've got to go for because I had the funds in, in my suspension. Um, so we're progressing. I'm going to go to the auction. It would be my first purchase at auction. So um, 
ignoring everything I've just told you about, make sure you check your next strategy out. But I'd done the numbers and I thought, I, I know this can work. And also it was fully tenanted with business business occupiers on three-year leases. So I thought it was fairly a, a fairly safe bet. So we went through the process. I was going to go to the auction. Then lockdown was getting worse. And it was like, no, no one can attend. It's going to be live online. Then that went out the window. And then it's just going to be, right, it's everyone can dial in and listen to everyone else's auction. Then it went to, sorry, no, we're going to ring you only for the lot that you're interested in. Um, and you can then, you know, then you can bid on it. So when it actually came to the day of the auction, lockdown was really, really in, in process here. Um, the death rates were going up. It, there was a lot of fear around the world, quite naturally. And I think this made um, a lot of property potential purchasers nervous because when we did the open day before lockdown, there must have been 15, 20 people looking at this building. I thought this was going to be some real competition. But actually, during the auction, um, I just got the sense that there wasn't many people bidding. And it was only about three or four of us. And I, I decided I'd follow a strategy. Of, I wouldn't bid until the last moment. So three guys had kind of dropped out and there was just one, one more person bidding. And then I came in with my bid and we did several bids. And I, I literally made my last bid because my wife was sitting in the room with me and she said, no more. Stop. That's the last one. And I said, yep, yeah, it's going to be the last one. Didn't say that to the, uh, the the guy on the other end of the phone at the auction house. So I bid and I didn't get a counter bid. And uh, so I, I was successful in, in winning that uh, auction lot. And um, it's already uh, cash generative um, right from day one, which is absolutely fantastic. So I'm really, really pleased. And um, the more I'm now educating myself about, commercial property um I, I i just think there's again there's some real opportunities there I, i'm gonna i think i'm gonna find it quite exciting and uh that's that's definitely something i want to look to try and again more more, more uh, commercial property now yeah i mean that, i i obviously know a lot of that because i know you and you know we've been working together um over a period of time now by the way uh, when you on the commercial property front you you were a little bit modest there. But I know that you did talk to people um, to get you know input and counsel, which is part of your learning uh, and your sort of extra due diligence. So you you probably made you're probably a little bit humble there in the way you explained that. But I know that you went out and reached out to a couple of people um, to make sure that you know you got inputs from different you know perspectives before you you went into that new newer strategy. So um, I, I mean absolutely, Richard. Um, I'm I'm not. I'm not backward at coming forward when I don't know things. So if 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 I'm, I've got people in my network, and I'm very fortunate that I have, if I've got people in my network that have this knowledge, I will. I will. I'm afraid I will be a bit of a pain, and I will constantly ask them questions and say, "Well, what about this? What do you think of that?" I mean, one of the things that was interesting, um, and I know I talked to you about this, that on the form that we had to. They asked um, for the for the auction for the commercial property. They said, "Would you put down on the form what your maximum bid would be?" And and being um, new to auctions, and I, I spoke to you and I said, "Is this normal? Would you do this? Do you think this is a good idea?" 
and we and we kind of came to the conclusion no it wasn't and uh, and obviously if the line had dropped down um that's why they asked you to do this if the line had dropped they said well that's it you won't be able to bid anymore um but i just i don't know i just didn't like the sound of it so i decided not to do that yeah very very wise i think but um so th we've we've covered a bit there so you've covered different types of property strategy you diversified your interests um you then it, what we just glossed over the point that you utilize your pension fund um from ford uh, and and created your own SaaS pension fund small self-administered scheme that's uh, right you're not the only person I'm talking to in this series, by the way, who has latched onto that as uh, as an avenue. But would you just talk a little bit about the whole um, SAS pension side of it and what difference it's made and perhaps what you've learned and how you're still educating yourself around that? Um, so the, the way I got into uh, finding out by, about SAS pensions was um, I had one of the pension houses actually contact me and said, um, you know, would I be interested in taking a SIP? And the idea would be that transfer out my pension fund into a SIP and basically invest it into the stock market. Um, I'd had some personal previous experience with the stock market, and I'll be honest, I wasn't very successful. Um, and I think that's because I'm, it could be say it's basically borderline reckless or gambling. Um, and it wasn't a huge amount, but it was it was several thousands that I'd lost, and I just went, that's it, stock market's not for me. So when this guy said, put your money into a SIP and we're less invested in the stock market, separately, I'd also had um, a private SIP myself after I'd left Ford Motor Company that I'd continued to pay into. And that had been invested in the stock market. And when I came to look at it to do a final transfer, that had lost money. So I was like, absolutely no way am I investing in the stock market with my pension fund? Because it's fine if it's a big pension fund like Ford Motor Company. Obviously, you know, they've got big um, people managing these kind of, this, the, the, the whole pension fund. But I, it just wasn't for me. But thanks to this guy, he just said to me, do you know what your transfer value is? And I thought, well, I have no idea what you're talking about. So... I found out what the transfer value was. You know, I could take it all out in a big lump. Um, and uh, he said, you know, contact Ford and find out what your transfer value was. Well, I did this. And when I got the figure, I almost fell over because I just couldn't believe how much money it was. Um, even though I'd left quite a few years before, I'd, I'd been with Ford nearly 25 years. That pension pot had kept building and it was very, very healthy. But I wanted that control. So I then went out to find someone that I could uh, use to set up a, my SAS pension. And you have to do that. You can't just do it yourself. There's all sorts of controls that you have to go through. Um, and uh, I selected a, a particular accounting firm that I'd been recommended. Um, they went through it with me in quite a lot of detail. And they almost had the authority to say, no, you can't do this. You know, we don't think you're. this is right for you. But, you know, I, they, were, they were happy with my, my justification and with my experience that it would be right for me to do. So I set up my SAS pension. Um, and now, you know, so now I'm using those funds to invest in property, uh, an extension of what I'm, I'm already doing. I think the key thing I would say, though, about a SAS pension for people 
who might be considering this. And I know there is a lot of talk, particularly in property circles, about SAS pensions. A SAS pension is like running a business. Um, you know, we've, you know, a number of us, we've all worked for blue chip companies. And if your um, normal pension review was like mine, which is you've got your letter, oh, okay, that's what it's worth. Fold up the letter, put it in the drawer, and you forgot about it for another year. A SAS pension is not like that. SAS pension is about you taking control of how those funds are invested. Um, you can invest in passive investments, but what I would say is you shouldn't be passive about your SAS pension. You should be looking at this regularly and really running it like a business. You wouldn't run a business and just not worry about it for six months. You'd be on it all the time. And having a SAS pension, I would say to people, is very much like that. So if you want something that you can just forget about, maybe a SAS pension is not for you. But if you want control and you will run it like a business, then I would definitely recommend a SAS pension to people. You're right in what you're saying, because um, I speak to some people and it's like, well, you can get hold of your pension. You literally can't get hold of your pension. You can just control how it's invested. Obviously, you can get hold of some of it when you're 55, um, and then the rest of it you can you can take out you know later under under the rules and regulations that exist. But I think what what I thought was really interesting, and, and you know you've done this, is how did it create like a step change to support your property business? Perhaps as a leading question. In other words, did it provide an alternative source of funding to enable you to do things that maybe you wouldn't have been able to do otherwise? I mean, it's definitely, it's not at the moment, but it will provide an alternative source of funding. So um, I've got my property business that I've got my, my existing property portfolio in. Um, right now, I'm not drawing uh, any earnings from that because I'm in a fortunate position. I don't have to, but I, I think that will change this year. I'm going to start drawing some, uh, some earnings from the property business. The pension um, pot, as I'll call it, um, I'm going to try and leave that untouched if I can so that it can grow and grow. Um, so it, it, at some point in the future, if I want to dip into that and buy that, buy, I start drawing, you know, not, not the initial 25%, but I want to start drawing a pension from that, that from my SAS pension, then that will give me a second stream of income that I can draw on at some point in the future. I could I could draw on it now, actually, because obviously I'm over 55, but I don't want to do that. I want to try and allow it to compound in terms of the rent that's going into the property and also to, um, to try and buy more property so that um, I, I can, you know, I'll have a good revenue stream in the future when I start needing to draw on it. But the other important re reason for me why I wanted to set up a SAS pension is that with a normal pension, um, the way the way it works is that pension it comes to you, and obviously if you're married, it goes to goes to your your wife in my instance. But if, when I die, the pension is reduced by fifty percent, and when my wife dies, the pension's gone. That's it; it's finished. The great thing about a SAS pension is that I can bring in my children and you know, at some point in the future when they're old enough, grandchildren to be trustees 
of the pension fund and it will become intergenerational. So the, the revenue or the income rather that's coming into the, the SAS pension, they can then start to draw on at some point in the future. So um, it's really about legacy, uh, you know, which is a, a big reason a lot of people take on a SAS pension. And, uh, and that was a big driver for me, I think, that um, I just, you know, when my first granddaughter was born, I suddenly thought, I want her to be able to do things that, you know, I could have only dreamed at when I was when I was quite young. Um, I mean, my parents, you know, I, I was born in a council house. My parents, you know, one was a shop a keeper, a shop worker, and, and my father, after he came out of the war, um, went into the docks and then became a postman. So, you know, we weren't we weren't a wealthy family by any means, but um, I want to make sure that my children and, and my grandchildren really have got an opportunity to do some uh, some really amazing things in life. And, you know, I've really enjoyed what I've, I've done with my career and what I can continue to do uh, today. But, um, yeah, it was, it was the legacy thing that really, I think, for me, said I need to do something different here. And, uh, and that was a big driver for doing the suspension. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, and it enabled you, I think, if I'm right in thinking, that you you bought that commercial building, didn't you, with your pension fund? Yes, you, I did. Yeah. So um, that's what allowed you to buy a property that you probably wouldn't have been able to buy without no. access to that that sort of funding. So I won't embarrass you by asking you the figures. But <laughs> I also know, by the way, that that, that deal seems to be the the the, uh, the property that keeps on giving. You know. There seems to be opportunities after opportunities because I know you bought it as a long-term buy and holders income in your pension, but you're already your mind's been racing about utilizing space or repurposing or things like that. So, well, there's you know, uh, whenever you buy a property, I think you know, um, always have a plan B. You know, it's one of the things that you, you often talk about, Richard. Um, my plan B for the property is that if at some point I wanted to, I could I could clearly turn it into residential. I think that would be acceptable. But the other thing is it's got enough land that it could be extended. So um, I think I could increase the size of the property to make the number of business tenants uh, more in, in terms of quantity. But already I've looked at one of the, uh, it's got a very big, big boardroom um, that is hardly ever used. And I've just immediately looked at this and gone, well, that could be another office, even if I made, uh, you know, the, the existing tenants uh, a small room so that they could still have client meetings outside of their office suites if they wanted to. And that should generate seven or eight thousand pounds extra a year. So immediately, um, you know, that would that would generate more income. So, uh, yeah, I'm always I've already got the architect look at uh, working on some schemes for me about what we can do and, uh, and see whether it's financially worth doing. I'm glad to see you've got an architect doing your drawings for you these days. <laughs> <laughs> We've spoken a little bit about yeah, working. It's, in it's the... been a while since I've got the technical drawing balled out. So, uh, yeah, which is what I did that those, those two flats on. But, uh, yeah, with no. CAD nowadays, then, um, yeah, I'll, I'll leave that to the experts. Well, it's actually a serious note because I know you and I have spoken in particular about working on the business versus working in the business. And so, you know, doing your own drawings whilst you're capable would be an example of working in the business. And um, I think, you know, just to cue you up, what's your view on that now? What's your view on on versus in the business? 
as, as you say, Richard, I, I've, you know, I've really struggled to um, step away from the coalface, as it was, because, again, I'm very fortunate that I'm very capable. You know, I can do electrics, plumbing, decorating, building. I, you know, I, I, I've been fortunate that through my life I, I've learned a lot of skills. Um, and um, and I, in some ways, I enjoy doing it. And it's been very, very difficult for me that when I'm let down by a trade, to um, to not just step in and do it myself. And you know, I've worked some silly hours in terms of doing that. But one good thing I would say that for me has come out of this lockdown, it's uh, it's really um, made me kind of press the reset button. Um, I've always been very much one of these people that is always flat out. I've always been a flat out person in terms of just working, you know, weekends, because I, 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 I don't find it too much of a chore. I, I, I kind of enjoy it. But uh, this lockdown has really made me reset. And uh, I think I would, I, I, I had this objective of only working three days a week. Mm-hmm. And, um, and actually, because of lockdown, I think I'm there now. So I've really stepped back and um, I'm quite happy to just get trades out. And if they can't do it uh, when I need them to do it, I'll just see if I can find another trade. But now I think I'm learning a bit more patience of, well, okay, if you can't do it, then if you do it in a week's time, well, that's fine. Whereas previously I'd have gone, I can't wait for a week and I would just go in and do it. So I think, you know, obviously, you know, what's happened with COVID-19 is absolutely terrible. But um, in that sense, it's it's been a real reset for me. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it takes that kind of catalyst, doesn't it, um, for us to get it? We've been talking about this idea for some time, and it is, is I know it's been an aspiration of yours to work less and, and spend more time on other activities and interests that I know you have. Um, but sometimes, you know, this, we, we're all on our little journey. We've all got our little, um, my, you know, mindset issues or paradigms that we're working to, and we need to sort of step away from that. And it's not necessarily easy to do. Um, but you know, you've—I guess—it sounds to me like uh, you've utilised what is obviously not a good situation with COVID nineteen to, as you say, press the reset button and rethink. You know how how you go about that. I'm really pleased to hear that, by the way. Um, and then another thing I've been able to do as, as part of kind of that research in terms of, of physically doing work is um, because I, I want to understand all the opportunities around utilising a SAS pension. I've really been educating myself with, with, uh, with online information and webinars and, and courses and things like that about what it is and is not possible to do by utilising a SAS pension. So, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've really taken the opportunity to do that rather than obviously where we've not been able to go out. Um, I, I've been doing a lot of home study. Um, interestingly, interestingly enough, one of my daughters, uh, who's a midwife, she's currently doing her master's, um, as, even though she's a full-time midwife. And, uh, it, we, we, you know, it's like, well, what have you been doing today? Oh, I've been, I've been, you know, writing notes and educating myself on a suspension all day. What have you been doing? Oh, I've been doing my essay for my master's degree. So it's been quite funny that, you know, although my daughter's 31 and, you know, I'm in my 50s, we're still, you know, kind of doing schoolwork together. <laughs> 
Well, you know, I'm definitely a proponent of what I call lifelong learning, um, you know, and, and upgrading our skills and our knowledge. So um, you, you get a massive thumbs up from me, as, as does your daughter. Um, but I guess that kind of cues us up nicely, really, to, you know, what, what have been sort of the, the lessons that you might have learned as you've gone through this journey? Because it's been probably an evolution over, I think you said, 15 years of, you know, maybe when you started in property. What have been the sort of key lessons and takeaways, uh, which also perhaps plays into a little bit of tips and advice that you might be able to share with others? Um, well, I've obviously already mentioned about, you know, if you decide to change strategy, um, it's really important that you, you educate yourself about the, requ- the customer requirements around, around that strategy. Um, I'm not so sure I would say it's a learning, but it's something I'm trying to maintain, which is, um, although I said I, I, you know, I'm quite um, a driven and, and flat out kind of person, it's easy to go, oh, I need more and more, I just need more and more. Let's buy as many properties as we can, you know, unless I've got 300 properties, I'm not going to be happy. Um, I've tried to kind of not get into that mindset because I think there is a point where you just go, do you know what, this is enough for me. Um, it is very much about, you know, um, having that, that you know, so, so, so often, so, so used so often, but that, but that work-life balance, which I think is, is really important. And again, going back to um, MJ DeMarco's book, and he talks about thing, uh, the three Fs, which are family, fitness, and freedom. Um, and it's, if you are just constantly going, oh, I need more, I need more, well, you don't get that freedom. Um, it can obviously affect your not just your physical health but your mental health because you just get no respite and what's the first thing that falls by the wayside well you don't see you know different for me because my children have grown up but you don't go to the school plays you don't see the shows because oh sorry daddy's got to work or he's away on a project um so for me i would say the biggest thing i've tried to maintain is that saying enough is enough. I'm I'm quite happy where I am. I don't need 100 properties. As long as I'm at a financial level where I can do pretty much what I want, I'm I'm not going to be going out buying Ferraris whenever I feel like it. But to be honest, that's not something that really interests me. But so long as I have a good life and, and I am able to have, you know, Lots of holidays, lots of life experience is what I'd say. I'm not talking about going sitting around a pool for two weeks. Um, I like to go and have life experiences. I've been to Vietnam on, on a Vespa. Um, I've been to Nepal on a, on a motorbike. I went touring in Nepal with a group of people, complete strangers. Um, but I, I wanted to have that experience. Um, interesting enough, me and my wife, I just said, we watched a program about Antarctica. And I said, that just looks amazing. Um, and then we looked at the price and it's like, mm, I'm not quite sure I'm there yet, but because uh, it's, it's, it's big money. But um, for me, it's really about life experiences now. And so long as I've got the income that will allow me to do those things, um, that's absolutely the most important thing. I mean, that's, that's great. I mean, to hear that. Um, and obviously you talked about, you know, taking in advice and stuff like that on, especially if you're switching strategies. I guess, you know, probably starting to think about drawing to a conclusion. Are there any sort of final thoughts or takeaways? I'm, I'm, also, I'm also going to ask if, if people might want to connect with you, how they could do that. But 
are there any you know final thoughts and takeaways you know that as you've been through the journey over the last sort of 15 years or so um you know that that you could pass on to others that you, you haven't already shared already I think I've pretty much covered everything that I wanted to say, Richard. Um, yeah, if it, you know, if, to be honest, if I add to that, I, I, I don't think that's going to add great value. Um, as I say, for me, it's it's about getting to that level where enough's enough, yeah. uh, and I'm quite happy with that because that's now again coming back to the idea of freedom. It's not only about travelling. But it's given me the freedom to educate myself about lots of things that are going on in the world, uh, lots of things that have previously gone on in the world. So, uh, you know, again, I'm I'm really an avid person of learning now is what I would say uh, that uh, I, I think is really important. Um, if people want to get in touch with me, um, then the main way to do that is via LinkedIn. Uh, I think it's Richard P. Parker on LinkedIn. Um, I don't, I'm not really on Facebook. I don't, I don't like Facebook. Um, and I'm, I'm not into Instagram and all those other things. Um, LinkedIn is the way that people can get in touch with me if they want to. And, uh, and I'll obviously respond, um, as best I can. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure people will be really interested in certain elements of what you've been speaking about. I'll put a, a link to your LinkedIn profile in the, in the show notes when this goes out. So people can, can look that up and connect with you if they wish um, absolutely i think it's been fascinating to hear your story when you talked about you you're not into ferraris is it, it i don't think ford make ferraris do they huh? <laughs> obviously <clears throat> they make it's, it's, it's funny actually because although I, I was when i was younger i was a real petrol head and um <clears throat> now it's completely 180 degrees and it just doesn't interest me at all now yeah i'm similar i was one of the aston martin to be honest but, but um they lose their value so quickly. Well, this is it. You know, once you get this investor mindset, it's really hard to justify sinking that kind of money into a into a flashy car. And uh, my wife calls them dwarf cars for some reason. She likes you know big SUV. <laughs> so um, I don't think I'm going to get it past my uh, co-director <laughs> wow. on the expenses. Anyway, um, I digress. I think there's some so amazing things. You know, I'd summarise a lot we said about you know giving you choice and freedom. And obviously then looking to pass through what you're developing to the next generation and in fact beyond. Um, so, you know, it, it's great to hear that story. I'm sure there's a lot more. Um, but thanks so much for sharing, Rich. I really appreciate that. Um, I'm sure the audience are going to get a lot out of it. I talk about this sort of everyday people. Um, but even the everyday people that I'm profiling is something special. And I think you've got something special in how you've gone about things. You've got a certain way. So congratulations for what you've achieved. Um, and uh, thanks for sharing with us today. It's been great. Thank you very much, Richard. It's been a real pleasure uh, doing this, and uh, I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thanks a lot. I hope you enjoyed that uh, conversation that I had with Rich. There's a number of points I'm, I've, I've taken some notes of. I just want to kind of quickly summarise, really, um, uh, that, that came out of it. I, I think the first thing is that um, the you know, starting at an early age, um, even if you're not really sure what you want to do later, is not a bad thing to do. So starting at an early age, one was the pension fund he had at Ford Motor Company. Uh, so he's preparing for a financial future from an early stage, whether it was a conscious decision or not, the company pension scheme, it's not necessarily a conscious decision, but we talked about that last week, of course, when we had Ian on the, on the podcast. 
And the second thing was um, was really, well, professionalizing what you did. I thought that was really interesting that he said he set up a limited company right from day one. Lots of people don't advise that. And, you know, to some extent, it's not necessary. But I think, you know, from a mindset point of view, it does get, get you in the right place. But then there was a catalyst for change. And uh, in Rich's case, that was reading a book. And that was the Millionaire Fastlane book that he talked about. Now, I think, um, you know, he also made the point as if, if you enjoy the job that you're doing, then it's easy to justify, you know, staying and sticking with it. So you have to have a reason to change. There has to be this catalyst, if you like. And in Rich's case, it was reading The Millionaire Fastlane and just kind of realizing that, um, you know, you couldn't really take full control of your life uh, and, and your own destiny until, you know, you'd actually you'd literally stepped out and, and taken control of your own destiny. So I thought that was really interesting, um, if you like, in the way it came about. He also talked about, you know, building up uh, an income stream as a life raft. And what he meant by that was not necessarily diving full, full on into becoming full time in property right from the off. It was, you know, to build up a, a, a sideline income which could su support and supplement uh, an alternative activity that he could do. He talks about the idea that you don't have the same expense levels if you go full time in property. So perhaps the the income replacement goal that often people have is the income that they're currently on. But that's not necessarily true that you need that level of income. Um, he was married, so he, his wife was still earning. So that helps to de-risk uh, the, the choices that um, or, or their choice of going full time in property as well. So there was a number of different things there that I thought was really interesting. I think the other thing is the strategies that he's followed. So he's gone from, you know, single lets and he was a, he didn't really reveal too much, but he did title splitting, uh, which is a great way to add value. Uh, title splitting to create single lets, but basically went from single lets when he was not full time. And then when he became full time in property, he went through HMOs. He created this uh, pension fund, was then lending to a developer. He's then bought a commercial property. So he started to expand his interests and diversify his interests as a result of, uh, of going full-time in property. And that will stand him in good stead, I'm absolutely sure. Spent quite a bit of time, obviously, talking about the SAS pension. And I know he's got a keen interest in that. And um, he knows an awful lot about it. So if you would like to know more, I'm sure you could reach out to him. And we saw, spoke a little bit about, you know, go, uh, working on the business and working in the business. And, um, you know, he was, you know, he admitted that it's something he's found a bit hard because he's very capable. He's a very capable man. And um, so we talked about the idea of, of stepping back and, and really leaning on others. And I think the lockdown period has enabled him to sort of rethink that. And he, he, he described it as pressing the reset button, didn't he? So um, and now he's, he's spending time on home study. I know he's had this interest in, in life experiences. He's told me about the motorbike uh, trips he's had. So studying and uh, the life experience is definitely something. And I think the other thing is this, um, it, <clears throat> excuse me, he said um, enough is enough, didn't he? And he said this is enough and enough is enough. So sufficiency. So it isn't always necessarily about getting stinking rich. <laughs> I think it's sometimes a case of just enough is enough uh, to be able to have a good life. So that, I thought that was really interesting that came out the... Um, the shares as well. So freedom, if you like, uh, lifestyle, choice and control, I guess, were the key takeaways. I'm going to share uh, Rich's contact details, specifically his LinkedIn connection details in the show notes. So if you'd like to reach out and connect with him in any way and just, just have a conversation, you'll be able to do that. But hopefully you enjoyed that today. And um, we'll look forward to another guest on another show on the podcast in, the, in a week. 
But you can see the show notes. Uh, there'll be a transcription of the interview over at the website, thepropertyvoice.net. And if you want to talk about anything from today's show, then by all means, reach out to podcast at thepropertyvoice.net and I'll be more than happy to hear from you. But in the meantime, I'd just like to say thank you very much for listening once again this week. And until next time on the Property Voice podcast, it's catch up. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.